Welcome to Cornerstone College Ministries podcast. We are a college ministry out of Stillwater Bible Church. We are in our semester study of the book of 1 Thessalonians. I hope you enjoy as we go through this great letter verse by verse. Uh, last week we saw the first part, chapter 2 in 1 Thessalonians. And um, a lot of it was Paul explaining what they did not do while in Thessalonica. Right? They're like, hey, we weren't acting like this, we weren't being like this or whatnot. Um, while there. And um, they weren't there to please men, but they were there to please God. Right? Uh, there were, they didn't come with flattering speech as a Thessalonians witness. Right? They saw that, hey, we didn't come try to flatter you with the way we talk and stuff. Instead, they were bold in their speech about the gospel. God is witness to how they had no greed in their heart. Paul is an apostle, right, which means one set with authority from Christ, apostle of Christ. And he very well could have used that authority to have them do things or do whatever while he was there, or treat them in a certain way. But instead, we'll see what they did this morning. Um, so I'm going to read the passage. We're in, I haven't gotten there yet, First Thessalonians um, chapter 2, verse two, 7 through, um, yeah, 12. So I'm going to read, and then we'll get started. Um, it says this, But we prove to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you've become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how, working day and night also, not to be any burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witness, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behaved toward you believers. Just as you also, um, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how amazing it is, how we can apply it to our lives, and how uh, it's able to to know the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And so I pray this morning as we study it that as I'm speaking, that you would speak through me and you'd be the one who's convincing and encouraging everyone as needed. I pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Okay. Has anyone ever had, like, you know, their mother or father whoever, um, a time that you can remember where they were being like protective and protecting you, right? Okay. Uh, a lot of you made it to this place in life, so someone was protecting you, right, at some point. Um, even if you were like a child, like a baby, baby. Uh, I remember there was a time where my family was having a campfire at our, on our property at our house, and uh, there was this other family that had like a little five-year-old kid there, a five-year-old boy, and um, his dad was there, and his dad was getting like a marshmallow or something from you know a table a certain distance from the campfire. And then his five-year-old kid was standing there, the big eyes, right at the fire, like just staring at it. Um, and so I know this, I know this head, right? He's going to throw something in. He's going to do something with the fire. He's going to try to do whatever. Um, no. Instead, this kid, still wide-eyed like a zombie, has his hand out and is reaching for the fire. <laughs> and it's like, no, no, right? And his dad is like, no, 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 stop, stop, <laughs> right? Um, before his dad could stop him, though, the kid, like, jumps back and, like, grabs his face because, you know, the heat, it's, it's hot. If you don't know, fire was hot. Um, <laughs> you know what the dad said? Well, he won't do that again, right? It's like, okay, well, learned his lesson. <laughs> um, uh, so this morning, Paul compares um, the attitudes that they took toward the Thessalonians to both, like, a mother and a father in this passage. And so uh, we're going to see that as we go in, so let's start in verse 7. So verse 7 says, But we prove to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children, 
having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. So this first starts with a contrast, right? Starts with, but we proved to be gentle. So what's it contrasting? Let's remember what it's contrasting. He just said they hadn't come to trick them um, with greed in their heart, nor did they come to seek the glory of others, even though they had the authority to seek others' glory, right? They didn't do that. Instead, it says, but we proved to be gentle among you. To be gentle. There was an immense feeling of affection that the apostles had for the Thessalonians, that the people had there for the Thessalonians. In the same way that a mother cherishes their children, they cherish the believers in that church. Right? Um, I think what they're, what they're emphasizing is the maternal nature they have here. Um, they feel protective and as if they're responsible for their growth, right, and for their survival and for their, for their thriving and stuff. Um, so they're emphasizing that part of it, that they really did care about them in that way. Um, and that they're well pleased not to impart only the gospel of God, but also their own lives. Right? They came into Thessalonica to share the gospel right? and to build up believers. Um, and yet they said that we didn't even just want to do that. We also felt we wanted to give our own lives. This word also means souls to you, right? To just pour ourselves to you as these believers here in Thessalonica. They parted their lives, saw their souls to the Thessalonians. So notice that it's a nursing mother, right? Uh, says that we uh, were um, gentle among you as a nursing mother to the care of her own children. A baby can get sick uh, by having a reaction to something that the mother has eaten, right, for a nursing mother. So it's important to make sure as leaders, right, as leaders, that they fill themselves, whatever they're going to fill themselves with is going to spill over into who they're leading, right? So as a nursing mother, they themselves um, in that way were filling themselves with good things, and a baby can get sick by reaction from what the nursing mother has. So they had to be sure that they're feeding themselves good things, right? That they're walking in the spirit, that they have the gospel and the meditating on the word day and night. Um, because whatever they're doing is going to spill over to who they're leading, who they're teaching. Right? Um, so um, they become very dear to them. Right? We know that there's, there's a lot of affection here with the Thessalonians and, and with um, Paul and Silas and Timothy who were there. And we have in verse 9, For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so we would not be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. We didn't want to be a burden. We were proclaiming the gospel of God. I don't know about you. Uh, I've never heard of, like, a mother's union trying to get a law so they only had, like, an 8 to 5, right? Like, you can clock out at 5 and we're done for the day, right? That's it. Um, I don't know any mothers who do clock out at 5 and then I just hear their baby crying, their helpless 3-month-old baby, and they're like, Nah, someone else can do it, right? Who cares? And there's no one there, right? It's like, no, like, the care for their, for their children. That's what, they're, that's what they're emphasizing here, right? We worked day and night as a mother cares for her child. It's comparing their care to Thessalonians to a mother's, and a mother's care doesn't stop, right? It continues and cares for, um, for, this, for this small baby, this, this child. Um, so here's an example of what they did. We have in 2 Thessalonians 3. It says, in order to eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with labor and hardship, we kept working day and night so we would not be a burden to any of you. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy worked while they were sharing the gospel. They weren't just there sharing and then like, hey, give us food. Hey, give us this. They are like, hey, we're going to work so we're not a burden to you at all with this. Um, I want to note that because some people think that going into ministry means you have to go like full-time, right? I'm just going to go have this full-time position, do nothing else. 
But it's not true. In fact, most of the ministry positions, people who work in ministry um, in the world, they have another job they work. Right? They have another job to supplement their income, um, to be able to not have to rely on other believers, which may be a burden sometimes for that. Um, so, of course, there are things that are full-time ministry. Also, a lot of them, most of them actually aren't. Um, so this is an example, right? Paul, what was um, Paul's job? What did he do on the side? Tent maker, right? Acts 18.3 describes him as a tent maker. He was a maker of tent, probably other leather works, leather goods as well um, with that. And he would sell them. He didn't want anything to get in the way of sharing the gospel, right? They wanted nothing to get in the way of sharing the gospel. They just want to be able to be there, share, not to worry about anything, right? Have someone be like, oh my gosh, what are they going to eat? Someone gets up food. Someone buy them something. Right? They're like, no, we have our own food. We always bought food from you. We didn't just take your bread, right? <clears throat> um, so they were self-sufficient to the point where they didn't have to ask for money at all. They just came in and they shared the gospel. And that was it. And they worked day and night as a mother does, right? Uh, to not be a burden to anyone, but they just wanted to proclaim the gospel. That's the one desire they had. What freedom does that give them? Like they're not, you could you could think maybe in the worldly sense that they're not in debt, indebted to anyone. Like, hey, y'all supported us as we were there, so we're so thankful and stuff. Like, they're just, they're free to just share the gospel and nothing else, right? Um, it also no one can accuse them of being selfish or greedy. Like, you're just coming here so that you can get our money, basically. Say, like, no, we we earned every bite we took, right? Like, we worked for it. And so instead of um, being greedy or asserting their authority, they proved to be gentle right, as a nursing mother. They loved them, loved the Thessalonians, and they worked night and day. All they had to do was just minister to them, right, share the gospel with them. All the Thessalonians had to do was just listen to the apostles, right, not to worry about anything else. Uh, look at verse 10. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behaved toward you believers. So as they were there, both the Thessalonians and God were witness to their actions. We talked about this last week, right? If y'all remember some. They discussed how um, we've been improved by God to do this. Um, let's see, where is it? Oh, it's in verse 5 of chapter 2, if you look up a little bit. We never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor protects for greed. God is witness, right? They called upon the Thessalonians to be witnesses that I never came to flatter you. And they called upon God as witness to say, I never had greed in my heart. So let's say that you are a witness and so is God, once again calling upon the, the authority of God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers. As they were there, both Thessalonians and God were witness to their actions. So first of all, it says how devoutly, right? Devoutly, the being devout, right, is um, living their holy lives before God. Living their lives holy before God. And they have uprightly, um, this is towards the believers and their dealings and relationships with them. They're, they're, they're upright, right? They have good standing, sort of, um, with them. And then they're blameless. Um, their conscience is clear in their life, right? in their own life. Um, there's no blame whatsoever. They're like, hey, we're blameless, right? We had nothing. We know that we're, we're, we're fine. Um, God knows we're fine because we're devout to him, and we're upright in all of our dealings with you as well. So in all three areas, they're vindicated. They're vindicated with God, with believers who are there, and personally, right? They're blameless. They were proven in their actions and their motives. Can we know someone's motives? 
What did they tell us? Well, maybe then, right? Uh, but ultimately, like from someone's actions, we don't know why they did it. Um, we can guess sometimes, and maybe it's probably a pretty good guess, but we don't ever really know why people do things. Does God know people's motives? And so this is a this is a bold statement. Say God is witness to how we were blameless and how we acted around you, right? That we were devout to Him, that we acted uprightly. We had no bad motives when we were here. I don't know about you, but I can't always say that about how I do things, right? about why I do things. My motives are not always pure, um, but they should be, right? Ultimately, for all of us, we should have pure motives, and we're helping someone out, or we're doing something else, instead of being like, I'm going to help them out, and maybe maybe they'll give me some money for this, right? Like, hey, that'd be nice. Right? I don't think maybe we deserve it, um, but ultimately, we don't deserve anyone's praise. We don't deserve anyone's anything like that, right? Um, and our motives should just be pure and loving them as Christ loved them, right? So, these apostles, they're, they have a pretty high uh, standard, I guess. They have a pretty high claim that they have here that God is witness to how they acted towards them. So, to ask ourselves, how do we act towards other people? How do we act in our personal lives? Are we blameless? Would we consider ourselves blameless? Um, would others consider us acting uprightly? And would God see us as devout? So, look at verse 11. Right? I know we're kind of blowing through this pretty quick, but... <clears throat> I want to get to this point. So just as you know, in verse 11, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. In this culture uh, they had, and he was writing here, and in many cultures still today, um, the mother of the, of the family was like the nurturing, you know, the more caring one. And the father was the one who taught you about being mature, right? About the maturity and kind of warned you about, hey, here's how it's going to be when you, when you leave, right? When you grow up, you're an adult. The mother was the one who was tender and self-sacrificial for their love for their children. And not saying the father wasn't, um, but the father was the one who prepared them to get ready for what they're going to face in life, right? For the mature, to, to make sure they're mature enough to go out there. And interestingly, God is portrayed as both in the Old Testament. Different passage where you see him as like, you know, like a, like a mother trying to gather all of her hens together, like a mother hen trying to gather all of her chicks, chicks together, right? Um, and then you have other things where it's like, you know, as a father, he comes out and acts in this way. And so he's portrayed kind of as both in, the, in his dealings with his people in um, this. Not saying that he's portrayed as like mother God. That's not what I'm saying. But in his, in his love and his actions towards Israel and towards his people, that's what he's portrayed as. So these words that he have here, right? You, just as you know, we were exhorting, encouraging, and imploring. Carry the ideas of urging, right? Exhorting is like urging someone to do something. We're exhorting you. Um, encouraging actually has, it, it, it's different than exhorting. It's more of like a comfort, right? You're encouraged because you're comforted in this way. Um, and then imploring, right? Imploring is insisting on these believers to act in a certain way, right? Imploring each of you as a father would his own children. Um, they want them to be hardened and prepared for the life ahead of them. Right? So these apostles come in like, hey, we love you all, right? And we're here and we're, we're caring for you, but there's going to be hardships coming up. What happened to the, to the, to the apostles, to Paul, Silas, and Thess uh, uh, Timothy when they were in Thessalonica? There was a big riot, right? Um, one of the guys, Jason, who was a believer there in the church, 
they came to his house and was like, give us these men, right? Um, so they can go punish them, whatever, do stuff. And it didn't happen, right? And Jason was dragged out of his house and like paraded down the street as he was dragged um, because of this. And yeah, and then they were run out of Thessalonica and they went where? Berea, right? Berea. And then they're there and they're and they're sharing the gospel. And the Bereans also great example, right? They're great, great people. They have a great response to how when they brought the gospel. In fact, what it says is that they got there and they're sharing the gospel. And the Bereans are like, This is so cool. Let's see if you're right. And they go through the Old Testament and they're like, You're right. You just is the Messiah, right? And they checked the Bible to make sure what they're saying was right. Um, but it's just an aside. Um, that's how we how we should act when we see people teaching, right? Um, but then when they were in Berea, what happened? Thessalonican Jews come. Yeah. Thessalonican Jews are like, wait, they're over there in Berea teaching? we got to go get them, right? So they go to Berea then, and they drive them out of Berea as well. So you think there's a little bit of pushback, Thessalonica, about Christianity? And so Paul and Silas and them left, but did all the believers leave? Obviously not, right? This is the letter to the Thessalonian church. So they're still there, and they're still believing, and they're still pushed back there as well. Um, and so he's encouraging them and saying, hey, we love you all. We want you to grow. We want you to, 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 um, to be full and live full lives. We also are warning you, like, hey, there's some hard stuff coming up, right? And you've got to prepare for this. You've got to be mature. You've got to be hardened and then strong in your faith to be able to go out there and face these things. And that's what that means by this, like, um, as a father would his own children, right? It's like, hey, you know, you have, have the talk with your dad of, like, you know, you're going to go out there, and uh, it's going to be rough. And you've got to fend for yourself, and you got to, you know, what, whatever else, right? That That's sort of stuff. And so um, they want them to be hard and prepared for, to live that life ahead of them. And what is that life? Well, it says, right? So that, right, this is a purpose statement or a, or a purpose or result when you see so that. Um, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you in his own kingdom and glory. So God called, has, or sorry, has God called us to a standard of living? Yes, right? Um, is there a way we believers are called to live? Yeah, right? Um, what is it? Live good, right? No, so we have here, um, John 13, 34, 35, says, a new commandment I give to you, this is Christ talking, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So Christ is talking, and how did Christ love us? He died. Yeah. God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinning against him, he died for us. And so he says that we are called to love others in the same way as he loved us. And that's why it's a new commandment. Um, uh, Some of y'all might know this. What is the, someone comes and asks Jesus and they're like, yo, what's the greatest commandment? What does Jesus say? Okay. So love your Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and all your mind. Um, is there another one? Or is that it? Second, the second one? is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You should love your neighbor as yourself, right? So love your Lord God, all your heart, heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? As yourself. Um, and then later on, Jesus says this, a new commandment I give to you, right? 
It's new because it's not what he said earlier, that you should love God, love your neighbor as yourself. But instead, you should love your neighbor as I have loved you, right? Sacrificially. I laid my life down for you. And that's different than just like, well, yeah, I'd like if someone did this for me, so I'd probably do it for them, right? It's like, no, no, love them as I have loved you. Right? By this, people will know you're my disciples. So um, that's the standard we have, right? That's the standard. That's what he calls us to do as believers. So what does it mean to be called into his kingdom and glory then? Right? So it says you should um, be worthy of the God who calls you, right? who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This, by the way, in the Greek, this kingdom and glory, those two things, it can also um, be translated as into his glorious kingdom. And so both of those translations work, um, but they basically mean the same thing, right? Kingdom and glory or glorious kingdom. Um, well, what is the kingdom? Right? In one way, uh, we are all members of God's kingdom if we've believed in him for eternal life. Another way, the kingdom isn't here yet. Right? Um, this verse is very similar to other verses that discuss the future kingdom's glory that we were called into. As an example, 1 Peter 5.10, <coughs> After you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you into his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Right? So we see that, that calling, right? who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ. This kingdom he's talking about, this glorious kingdom called, there's a certain calling there, right? Um, so what is the kingdom, then we have to ask. Okay. So, um, so the Old Testament, right, we have like Adam and Eve, and then like Abraham, right, Isaac, Jacob. We have David, Solomon, all those people, Isaiah, prophets. We have the Old Testament here, right? OT. And that happened. And then if you're going through your Bible and you're reading and you get to Malachi and then you finish Malachi, what's on the next page? Normally it's a blank page, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but then you have the New Testament, right? And then you have Matthew. And what is Matthew about? Jesus, right? It starts the New Testament with Christ. And so we have the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who come next and that's Christ right Christ's death and his resurrection here and so that happens and that's kind of like a it's, it's a pretty big point right it happens here from the Old Testament to this point and then Christ um, comes and when he, he dies and rises again and what does he establish on the earth the church right the church those are the believers these are Jews and Gentiles who believe a lot of its Gentiles not a lot of its Jews right now right um, but we have the church age right here, right? I'm making this way too big. Cool. Um, so the church. Uh, how long is the church age here going to last? We don't know, right? Paul even calls it a mystery that this even happened. Right? Old Testament, they were like, they had no idea. There were hints at it. If you look back now, we're like, that's what this is talking about, right? I'm going to go find a people who aren't my people, and it will become my people and stuff. And you're like... Oh, I get it now, right? This is now for everyone to come in and be God's agents on the earth to go and share the gospel and stuff. So um, the church age is here. Um, we see, we're going to see a lot later on in 1 Thessalonians. And um, in other passages, we see this thing that happens right here called the rapture. Right? This is when Christ comes and he comes down to the clouds. It's supposed to be a cloud. Um, to the clouds, 
and he raptures the church out. Right? Is that twinkling of an eye in First Corinthians, and then in, in the First Thessalonians four talks about how the dead in Christ will be right, will be um, will rise first, and the we who are alive and remain will be caught up with them in the clouds, and such. Um, guys, I love this topic, and I could just go on and on about this, but I gotta, I'm trying to like really just do the basics. Um, so I'm not doing a lot of like the verses and stuff that goes along with all this, but then what we have is something called. Um, I'm going to make it a lot shorter, sorry. Um, the tribulation, right? Um, trib. This is a seven-year time period. And this is ultimately a time period for Israel to get right, to get back with God, right? to get right with God. It says in Daniel, um, the prophet Daniel, he's like, um, I give them 490 years um, from the decree to rebuild Jerusalem um, for Israel basically to like get right to God, like get back, or else you're done. Right, you're done for. That's it. Right, come. Um, well, after that decree happened, you see it in Nehemiah one eight. But that decree happened. Um, guess how many years later Christ died? Four hundred eighty three. They're like, no, wait a second. He said four hundred ninety. So that must mean that there's a seven year time period, and then Christ comes back. Right. Well, did that happen? No. Right. <laughs> did not happen. Um, what happened was that this was the mystery, and the church age happened, and they put a pause, right? There's a pause on that thing. Because it literally says after 483 years, the Messiah is cut off. And to the month, 483 years after that decree, Christ out on the cross. But there's seven more years, so what happens there? Well, seven years here, right? And if the church are the people who are gone, well, then who's left in the world? The unbelievers. Unbelievers, right? Unbelieving Jews. Most of the Jews are unbelieving right now. Um, and it's time for them to get back with God, to get right with God, right? to believe in Christ. There's so much to go into that, but I'm not going to do that right now. Um, and so then this is what's called Christ's second coming. Right? Christ's second coming. That's whenever Christ comes down to the earth. Now you might be thinking, okay, wait a second. One, two, two, right? What in the world? Um, well, where did Christ come here? Clouds. To the clouds, right? didn't come to the earth. Uh, it says we were caught up with him. We were joined together with him, and we'll be with the Lord forever. We were joined together with him in the clouds. Right? He didn't actually come to the earth. So the second coming to the earth happens here, and it's, it's the worst thing you've ever seen in your life if you're an unbeliever. If you're a believer in this time, you're going to be like, yes. Right? This will be the most amazing sight you ever will see ever. Right? Christ comes to the earth and um, basically sets up his kingdom. We're going to talk about this in the main service today. I wasn't in there, but I know the passage he's going over is the Davidic covenant. Um, and it's talking about how a descendant of David is going to rule for eternity, right, for forever um, on, on the throne. And so what happens here, as it's prophesied, is a thousand-year kingdom here on earth, right? here on earth, on this same earth. Um, so I'm going to go, um, if you would like to turn to the very last book in your Bible, to Revelation. I'm going to read a little bit of Revelation 20. Revelation, um, anyone ever scared to read Revelation? <laughs> I still am. Right? Um, so there's a lot in there. right? It's a lot of stuff that's like, what is happening? Right? Well, it's actually a real big source of comfort. right? Because you can know that the end, the end is, is written. Right? We know what's going to happen. And Satan doesn't win. Right? Sin does not win. Christ wins. 
And so we have this, right? Um, if you Revelation look at chapter 20. It says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven. And this is happening after the seventy tribulation, right? Not from heaven. Holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is a devil and Satan. In case you didn't know who the dragon or the serpent was. And bound him for how long? Okay. And they threw him into the abyss and tried it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the, what? Thousand years. Thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. Then I saw thrones and they sat on them. The judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God and who had not worshipped the beast or his image or received the mark on their forehead. Right? That's all stuff that happens in this time period, the seven-year time period. Um, on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for, what is it? thousand years. Okay, cool. Look at verse 5. And the rest of the dead did not come to life until the what? thousand. Whoa, that was a lot less than before. Uh, verse 5. Uh, this is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is one who has part in the first resurrection. For over these, second death has no power, but there will be priests of God. I know him for thousand years. thousand years. Okay, then verse 7. When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be revealed from prison. Released from prison, I mean. Okay. How long do you think this time period is going to be? 500 years. Probably a thousand years, right? If when Daniel prophesied, so you guys can go back to Thessalonians, when Daniel prophesied that the rebuilding of the temple would happen, and then 483 years later the Messiah would be cut off, and it was exact, right? In the same month, Messiah Christ died on the cross. I think it's going to be a thousand years, right? I think it's probably going to be actually a thousand years. And so this is a thousand years of people are reigning with Christ here. Um, it's a period of Christ, a period of time where Christ will rule and reign on the earth from the throne of David, right in Jerusalem. We as believers now will reign with God for a thousand years. We'll have glorified bodies, right? So we're not going to be like super old. Um, we'll have glorified bodies with Him, reigning with Him. And then after this thousand years, right, there's a final like attack from Satan. That's why I said he must be released. It's like, come and get all the unbelievers to rally against God. And of course, try to fight God, not going to happen well. And well. Um, after that, that all thing happens. It's a great white throne of judgment. But anyways, and then infinity, right? Eternity after that, eternal state. But the point is, it's talking about this, the kingdom, right? The kingdom. It's made up of believers, all believers in this kingdom. And then also people who have lived through believers through the tribulation, they come in and they like marry and have babies and populate the kingdom and stuff and we're ruling and reigning over them. However, the point I'm getting at, right, I had to explain all of that to get to this point, is that it says that we're called to that, right? Um, we have a call, work in, work, walk in the manner worthy of God who calls you in his own kingdom and glory, his own glorious kingdom. And how we live now, how we serve God in the kingdom is dependent on how faithful we are now. So we'll be reigning with him, but we can be reigning as, you know, a king of an area, right? A ruler of an area or king of the janitors, right? I don't know, right? I'm not sure how it'll work. But there's different, there's different ways that we'll be reigning with him, and it's all dependent upon how faithful we are now. So I don't know about you, but I love to serve in a position closer to Christ rather than farther away from Christ. Um. I ought to be given some more responsibility in the kingdom. But it all depends upon how I live my life now. Right? How I live it now. Am I living for Christ? Or am I living for myself? Am I seeking the glory of men or of God? 
I want to emphasize, though, that this is not talking about salvation, right? Eternal life salvation. How you live now doesn't affect your salvation, right? Like, it's a gift of God. A gift isn't something you earn, right? The moment you believe you have eternal life, how long is eternal eternity? Eternal. Eternal. Forever, right? Basically. So if you have it the moment you believe, can you lose it? And it still be eternal? No. No, right? Okay. So that means that when we place our faith in him, we have eternal life, right? We have it for forever. So nothing we do is going to affect that in that position. But there's still rewards, right? There's rewards for living for Christ. There's rewards for um, laying our life down and being disciples of Christ, walking in the Spirit, abiding in Christ throughout our days. The apostles were encouraging and urging the Thessalonians to live lives for God, right? to be mature in their faith. God has a standard, and that standard is that we love others as he loved us. Are we preparing ourselves to do that? As we study the word, as we come to church, we talk to other believers, are we preparing ourselves to love others as Christ has loved us? Are we following the examples of Christ and of Paul and other believers? Or are we here to please men? Paul, Silas, and Timothy showed their love for Thessalonians in, um, in these ways. They turned out to be a burden. Right? Um, they proclaimed the good news as they went out. Um, they acted righteously around believers. Right? They acted in, in a good, positive way. And they encouraged them to walk in a manner worthy. So they loved them, right, as a mother cared for them. Not to be a burden. Right? They did everything they could to just be able to love them and share the gospel. Share the gospel, acted righteously, acted blamelessly, and they encouraged them to walk in a, in a, in a manner, a worthy, uh, a worthy manner. <clears throat> so, Dr. Constable has um, 20 characteristics of Paul's ministry in 12 verses of chapter 2. Here you go. Right? So he was bold in spite of opposition. Um, he was accurate with his message in verse 3. He was pure in his motives in verse 3 as well. He was honest in his methods in verse 3. Um, he was not a man-pleaser, but he was a God-pleaser. He was truthful. He was not greedy. Um, or I said they, I guess. They were not egotistical. They were not authoritarian. They weren't using their authority to make them do things. They were instead gentle, unselfish, affectionate, transparent, right? Our whole lives were poured out for you. Um, we were hardworking. We were devoted to God, upright towards others, blameless in their own eyes, earnest in their instruction, and purposeful in his objective. There's a purpose why he was doing all of this. And it's at the end of verse 12. So that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you to his own kingdom and glory. So with that in mind, let's go into some applications. So first of all, let's imitate Paul and his life of ministry. Right? We're called to ministry. Every single person who's a believer is called to ministry. Full-time, right, or even in a position where you're working, no. Right? Not everyone is called to that. We're all called to, to ministry, and we're called as ambassadors for Christ. To beg the world on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Right? Believe in Christ. And we have gifts, talents, and abilities that we should use in that ministry, right? In that, as we're serving others, serving the church, and whatever. Um, but with we see Paul, we see that he was loving, tender, and urging others along, right? Urging others along. Secondly, let's be prepared to live our lives for God. Be prepared to, right? Um, walk worthy of his calling, and know that there are rewards for living faithful lives. 
I don't know about you, but when I first heard about rewards, I felt icky. I was like, I don't want to, like, that just sounds, that seems wrong, right? There's like bad motivations and that kind of stuff. But let me ask you this. If God didn't want us to know about rewards, would he have put them in the Bible? No. No. Right? He put them in there for a reason. As an encouragement, as a comfort, right? When you're sitting there and you're going through persecution and you're still living for Christ, you can be like, I know that there's a glory waiting for me, right? I'm living for Christ, not for this world, right? Um, and an encouragement to live for that. So he wouldn't have told us about them if he didn't want us to know about those. So let's imitate Paul. Let's prepare to live our life for God. Let's, let's prepare for it, right? Let's actually study the word. Let's talk to others. Let's get encouragement to go out and live lives for God. Any questions anyone has? Um, I just think it's really cool how uh, Paul, Silvanus, also Silas, and Timothy, yeah. um, like Paul likens them to two parents. They have this parental concern mm-hmm. for the vessel um, It's just really cool. Like it, it, it's encouraging, and it is like there there is the side of it that's like I suppose not forceful but exhortive. Um, mm-hmm. But it's really cool how he phrases it. Um, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. So the idea is like, you know, we did it lovingly. We want mm-hmm. what's best for you. Um, and so that's why we're encouraging you. And, and it's done out of love. And um, I don't know, it's just really cool that he likens them to that. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it sort of goes back to the way of the family of Christ. So we're all brothers and sisters. But then there are authority. There is authority in the church. Um, and in those days, they had the apostles. Um, yeah. Or like divine authority. <laughs> like, yeah. This person is my guy. So um, I don't know, it's just really neat to see that. Yeah, honestly, somehow when I first read through this and was studying it a while ago, I didn't catch up, pick up on the fact that it was like like a mother, like a father. Um, I was just like, okay, cool, yeah, they did these things, kind of whatever. I didn't think about the fact that he put both mother, like the maternal and the paternal um, aspects of like parenting these believers and stuff and the care that they have for them. So I think it's a really cool image and a picture to look at. But, um. So we have a couple questions on the on the back of the note sheet. If you have a note sheet that we're going to break up in discussion groups, we only have about ten minutes, um, but should be good. We'll do like you know, like we always do. Guys get in groups of like five or so. Girls get in groups of like five or so, um, and talk about them and stuff. Um, so I'm going to pray and we'll do that. God, I thank you so much for for Thessalonians. It's an amazing. Welcome to Cornerstone College Ministries Podcast. We are a college ministry out of Stillwater Bible Church. We are in our semester study of the book of 1 Thessalonians. I hope you enjoy as we go through this great letter verse by verse. Welcome to Cornerstone College Ministries Podcast. We are a college ministry out of Stillwater Bible Church. We are in our semester study of the book of 1 Thessalonians. I hope you enjoy as we go through this great letter verse by verse. Welcome to Cornerstone College Ministries Podcast. We are a college ministry out of Stillwater Bible Church. We are in our semester study of the book of 1 Thessalonians. I hope you enjoy as we go through this great letter verse by verse.
Welcome to Cornerstone College Ministries podcast. We are a college ministry out of Stillwater Bible Church. We are in our semester study of the book of 1 Thessalonians. I hope you enjoy as we go through this great letter verse by verse. 